hope uh, you've been having a good day, and uh, I hope our discussion this evening will make uh, the evening a sweet one. And l please let me know if uh, you all, Alan and Jack and Miriam and Ray and Mary, uh, can you hear me okay? That is the key, is, uh, is the volume level. As they say, does that seem to be even, clear, and so on? Okay. Everyone uh, that's good. I will assume it's uh, we're, everything is good, and uh, we can just start talking and begin our, uh, begin our eighth class. So uh, I want to begin this uh, week in which will very soon be Hanukkah, uh, a very beautiful and also a very important holiday. And by going back to the very beginning of the course, the begin early in uh, October, when we talk uh, and and talk about freedom for a moment and the connection between uh, freedom and justice and uh, how that affects can affect the way we respond to uh, events that we see, uh, especially the suffering, human suffering that we experience, and as people who have a keen sense of the uh, existence and power of the Eternal One, the Creator, what kind of responses should we try to cultivate? To what kind of responses towards suffering should we try to cultivate uh, within ourselves? And uh, that has to do these general uh, concepts of freedom and responsibility that comes with that, uh, both of which bear upon the very nature of the Eternal One, uh, the creator of all us, Briot, um, have to bear very much on the Torah portion that's uh, going to be read uh, in synagogues this coming Saturday, and which will be the beginning of Hanukkah this year. And it's very appropriate because it has a great deal to do with light and darkness, with separation of light and darkness and also a great deal to do with justice and injustice, with degrees of justice and injustice, with the way that uh, unjust um, or inappropriate even words or actions can be uh, repaired and made good, and uh, what that has to do with uh, each one of us. Uh, and our response, like I said, our response when we see suffering. So first I'm going to start with that, those general kind of ideas very briefly before I go in and pick up the themes we've been discussing the last couple of weeks, especially about Asa, as in Esav, and Shalem, uh, as in uh, Yashar, and uh, Yisrael, or Yaakov, and uh, the idea of uh, 
uh, toruf or treif, as we know, relates to one of the Noahide laws, and is also some is also an experience, as well as a word that appears in a very prominent place in this week's Torah portion, and that helps to illuminate the general principles that I've just laid out to you. That is degrees of injustice. What is suffering? Uh, what does it prove? What does it accomplish? What does it demonstrate? How should we respond to it? First, uh, we were saying uh, eight weeks ago that Hashem, of course, does not need to create anything at all. It's, uh, he has no needs. Even to speak about him with a pronoun, a personal pronoun, is a metaphor. He's the creator of everything, including time as well as space. Um, his ways are not our ways, as one of the prophets reminds us, uh, to keep us humble. Uh, ultimately, you know, the, the ultimate plans, if we can even call them plans, uh, of his mind and spirit are uh, beyond us. All we know is that there is a ch- that there is an enormous amount, an infinite graciousness, an infinite generosity, an infinite love, uh, because the creation exists, and because we exist, and everything and all of the marvelous variety that Psalm 104, the Hillam 104, lays out for us with a great feeling of joy, uh, gratitude, and wonder, for example. By creating everything, Hashem not only shows, manifests that central to his being, his ultimate uh, energy and language is uh, generosity, grace, and love. He also demonstrates that the, the crown of creation, human beings, are free to turn to him and recognize him or not to turn to him and to go in various different ways and of course every degree every shading you know where we're, it's taught that there are 49 uh, potential shadings at least of every different personal quality trait and action uh, that certainly there's certainly not fewer so every degree from turning towards him with entirely wholeheartedly and it, uh, or down to turning away from him consciously, purposely, uh, and purposely. All of those degrees are for us. He chooses the people who choose him. Uh, we, I talked about that a lot in regard to Abraham and the succession of the covenant to Yitzhak and to Yaakov and then to the sons of, ya- of Yaakov, Israel, that we'll talk about a lot today and also next week because their story and their relation to their father their relation to each other is very much bound up by the holy calendar with the holy days of Hanukkah which uh, grow out from the root of grace and grow out from the embodiment of the grace that pervades the universe its embodiment in the Hanukkah Habayit, uh, the the Habayit, the uh, 
house of prayer that uh, is uh, going to be rebuilt. So they, Hashem chooses the people who freely choose Him, who recognize Him, who recognize that there's a creator, designer, and a master who does not control us like puppets, but leaves us free to write the programs as well, and to write the, uh, the uh, Word document, so to speak, although He has uh, created the hard drive and uh, we have an assurance that all of our activities with their varying degrees of insight and ignorance and good-heartedness or selfishness are going to wind up in the same place of uh, shalem and shalom. So when you see someone suffer, though, to get to that as an example, as, a, as a, an application of these general principles I'm talking about that go right back to the essence of what Hashem is, and what our relationship to his, Him is, one in which freedom or free will, as the philosophers say, plays such a central role and is so important to our responsibility, to our dignity, uh, to our power, to, to the fact that we can be. How else could we be like a crown, so to speak, to Hashem, except that we have this ability to complete or to damage or delay completion of the wholeness that he desires when the or tov will again fill the entire world the way it did on the first day uh, of creation. The first light that's not the light of the sun but the light that's the direct uh, the direct manifestation of the uh, grace and love of uh, the Creator. When we see people who are suffering, it's the result of the actions, not only of their own actions, but of many, many different people. It might be two. Uh, it might be 15. It might be 15 million. It might be 150 million different people stretching across three or six or twenty generations. We are all responsible for each other. And if only if only the if only bad people, wicked people, evil people, people who consciously turn away from Hashem and who consciously turn away from the seven laws of Noah, which bind all mankind into an embrace of humanity. Uh, an embrace of uh, a, a being that can crown the creator um, then it would not be evil if only the evil suffered as a result of evil it wouldn't be bad it would be good they would cancel themselves out nobody else would be hurt end of story on we go to the world of in which all of our actions are like shalamim and are filled with light and peace but uh, the facts that we learn as we each one of us grows up and, uh, is that everyone we are radically free beings and we are interconnected and the ideas the ideology the, the behaviors the actions the failures to act like Eov 
the sages teach, who, as one of Pharaoh's three advisors, when he listened to, when he heard Pharaoh's magicians telling Pharaoh, you've got to get rid of these Hebrews. These people are really, they're a potential problem. They're going to destroy Egypt. They're totally different. And there's way too many of them. We've got to start throwing them in the river. And uh, Yitro saw how it was going on, so he took off because he wasn't going to, couldn't keep silent on that. Yov kept silent and he became, as a result, complicit and had to do an, an extremely painful uh, teshuva to make up for keeping silent when he should have been speaking justice, to quote uh, Tehillim. So, all of all of the actions of a culture, culture, uh, a civilization, a, a body, a, a parliament passes a, an unjust law, or and uh, it gets applied by people who grow up don't without even knowing that there's any other way to behave, and uh, lo and behold, they become complicit in perhaps millions and millions of otherwise innocent, good, kind people suffering, suffering terribly, having their families torn apart, for example, because of bad ideas implanted uh, by, say, major foundations into the minds of an entire population through the major media that, uh, that wealthy people who create foundations, like Henry Ford or John D. Rockefeller, uh, control. And lo and behold, a generation or two later, you have tens of millions of people who don't even know that these foundations exist, and yet their lives are torn apart by the bad ideas or self-serving ideas put into bad laws and then applied. Okay, that's a general example of how freedom is a radical, is a root principle of our beings and that, that Hashem put into the world and an obligation that he put on us. This is the challenge of the Eternal One, a large part of it, to be discerning, to be involved in uh, Derech Rosh Shin, in Darshaning, in studying and with uh, good mentors so you can have real, uh, real insight, real uh, Bina, uh, and, and so on, real understanding. Uh, and knowledge so that you will restrict uh, people who damage our humanity, you resist them and it's necessary to defeat and destroy them rather than allowing them to do that to, uh, to, to damage other people. Here's a specific example that brings us right close to home. Joseph has friction with his brothers as we all know. Um, and uh, how many brothers does he have? Well, he has 11 altogether, of course, but in terms of when we pick up our story and they're out there t tending the flocks, there's really 11 of them who are out there. Binyamin is uh, whatever he is, 10 or 11 years old, and he's uh, not directly present in the action where we pick up uh, Parsha. Vayeshev, and uh, that leads to such momentous events. That is the, really the direct catalyst for Israel going down to Egypt, fulfilling that part of the, uh, the covenant and the, pro and the 
prophecy that the Eternal One gave to Abraham and that was one of the reasons that Esau wanted no part of that covenant you mean I'm going to die and plus I have to go into exile or my descendants too no thank you um, this part immediate prompt to that critical part of the prophecy getting underway and playing out it's very painful it's very painful 210 years uh, and painful for an awful lot of people who didn't make it through good people, innocent people uh, people who are you know, as far as the specifics of their lives forgotten it doesn't mean their anguish wasn't real and we shouldn't be filled with basically with one of the main attributes of Hashem and certainly the attributes that's taught all the time in Torah and that Jewish people are uh, supposed to embody particularly uh, Rachmanes to be merciful and to have a heart of uh, Ahavas Chesed uh, which uh, people surely need uh, there are some people after experience you realize you can't approach first and foremost with that you can try and try and if you keep getting rockets shot into your neighbor's lawn or through your roof then you know probably this is a person who doesn't respond to love there are people in the world like that unfortunately it takes all kinds as they say but anyway there Joseph has friction with his brothers this go, everything we've said bears on this point why does Joseph have friction with his brothers such that they can't speak a word to him in peace and Chazal uh, our sages say to us they were so they were so moral so righteous that because they felt resentful and frightened of him and jealous of him too subsequently uh, because of the, the coat and the signs of favor they rather keep quiet which is not good but it's better than speaking angry words maybe anyway there's this division where does the, this division in the place the place the place in the world where there has to be shlemut where we were just told and I've been talking for two weeks interweaving it through our discussion of everything the, the fact that after Yaakov's work and patience and uh, faith and love in, uh, in dealing with Esau and, and fleeing to Aram Naharayim and dealing with his vicious uncle Lavan who is certainly uh, in uh, a terrible transgressor by the Noahide code we talked about the, the many ways in which that's the case uh, he can't, comes back to Shechem the place where his grandfather Abraham raised the first altar to the eternal one and he is Shalem when he comes back to, uh, to Shechem Jacob is Shalem and he is going to have the family that is like an embodiment of the whole dimension of time the months 12 sons like 12 months and they're going to fill space um, on each side with the, so to speak a core three divisions on each side of the camp 
north, south, east, and west, the way they will spread out from the central place of Beit El, which the sages explain is really Har Hapayim. So in this family of all places, there's not as we begin reading Vayeshev, and we're told here are the generations of Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers, and there is, and they can't speak, there is not uh, peace. There's, there's not shalom. It goes back to Lavan. You could trace it back in a more complicated way. It goes back to Lavan and the fact that he did not keep faith and truth, that he was not just, he was not honest. He pulled a, a fast one on Jacob after seven years of labor for his uncle by switching the daughters as you know as a result instead of Jacob winds up with uh, four wives okay Hashem is going to turn everything eventually so it'll be good and there are four wives and uh, sometimes the sometimes the handmaidens are referred to as concubines we know and sometimes later especially they're referred to as wives but there are twelve sons Everything is four square as a result of a lot of uh, self-restraint as well as hard work and uh, ahava from Yaakov. But it goes back to Laban and this difference uh, and all of the different different mothers that that Jacob had to go through to uh, produce the twelve sons that were foreseen and uh, there there are problems too I mean Yaakov is uh, a great prophet uh, a man of great righteousness a man of great love Yosef has a mission from Hashem which is not understood by everyone my goodness we've got to be merciful to ourselves We, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves this is a special challenge for people who take on the moral code of the B'nai Noah and certainly for Jews who take on the code of the entire Torah to be the kingdom of priests within all mankind, the B'nai Noah. The, uh, the additional challenge of that greater responsibility and the much higher the heightened degree of freedom and possibility for failure it brings with it is that you can be so you're always so scrupulous with yourself and uh, uh, then you know being you should not be too low in your own uh, self-regard it says in Pirkei Avot uh, chapter 2 verse 18 I know I had that uh, that was one of the points I had listed on my lesson Four, I believe it was. Uh, don't be, don't be wicked in your own uh, view of yourself and your self-consideration. Look at Yaakov. Uh, Here he loves Jacob. Uh, he loves um, Joseph uh, very, very much. He loves him with what's clearly a unique love, his favor. Yosef. Now you should say, well, Yaakov. Uh, we know that Rachel was your, really your Beshert and 
and if it was not for Lavan, after all, who 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 messed up this uh, situation? Lavan, a terrible sinner, an uh, an idolater, a liar, a thief, a rodef, uh, and so on. But uh, we so of course Yosef is your beloved son in a way he should have been your first son from Rachel should have been your Bechor your firstborn with the double portion but he's not it's it, you know we people have even the Lavans can write write programs even James Baker the Chamberlain of Bakers writes a program and uh, all kinds of people that are even worse than he is the, the fellow who's convi- uh, who's presiding over a Holocaust denial uh, conference uh, these days as we're speaking and thinking here. Uh, he also writes his programs and uh, not, a, not a good person at all, but you have to then take that into account. You can't pretend it doesn't uh, exist and if you try to, things just become a little more complicated, even if that's the way from the eternal ones frame of reference, so to speak, this is the way uh, it's going to be. This is the way human beings with all their imperfect ability to foresee, choose, uh, select, and control, even the best of them are going to have to struggle their way towards Shlemyu and Shalom. But we know that only from Shlemyu that only when there is shalem can there in us in our activities perhaps I should rephrase that and say only to the extent to which that's really humane that's merciful and therefore insightful to the extent to which that we can make our lives shalem in all its connotations uh, intact lives of integrity, lives of completion and perfection in our ways, can we from below bring forth, so to speak, the valve, the, the bridge, the connector, the hook to the, uh, that connects us, so to speak, to the, uh, to the eternal and infinite source of life and light and produce a true shalom not a peace process, not a peace conference, or something put together by a bunch of Asafs and Ishmaels, but true peace, light and life. Uh, the, uh, we'll come back down, the, the Vav will come back down to us, there'll be the, uh, the, the stimulation from below will prompt God's very eager uh, and quick uh, response and awakening from uh, from above to bring the Vav down into our Shalem Yud, into our Shalem. And Yaakov and Israel will not only, uh, when it's Shalem, will be able to produce the joy and the service that will bring true Shalom. That's when there'll be uh, peace in the Middle East and everywhere else uh, too. But anyway, uh, in a any, to continue with uh, where it is in the Parsha, uh, Yaakov loves Joseph for a lot of, Yosef uniquely for a lot of good reasons. 
and Yosef feels himself love and Yosef is filled, filled with a very spe- special chen we're told over and over again and when he gets blessed by Yaakov in Vayechi uh, at the end of uh, Sefer Bereshis uh, in chapter 49 of the book of Genesis we hear at great length about the charm the chen of, of Yosef in all its levels uh, his his mastery, his accomplishments, his handsomeness, his winning ways, his attractiveness, all of those things are part of the enormous chen that has come to him from Hashem through Yaakov and Rachel, uh, the two who were intended uh, for each other from the start. And yet he is the next to the youngest brother, and uh, he also, you know, perhaps it's a story the great thing about one of the great things about the uh, the Tanakh is that even the greatest ones of Israel are not. It's not there's no pretense that they're gods, uh, so to speak, and pardon the expression, like in other religions, they're they're human beings, and not a one of them is absolutely 100 percent uh, perfect and shalem. Otherwise, they would not be a human being. Another reason we should, uh, while always striving to be scrupulous, not be uh, not be fierce on ourselves and tear ourselves apart uh, when we fall short of the mark. Yosef brings tales about his brother. There's a. I really encourage you to get the uh, Art Scroll edition of Ramban's commentaries because the discussions in there that Ramban brings together from the Peshat of uh, the, uh, the, the written Torah through the Mishnaic sages through the commentaries in the Gemara and all the other people up to his days are absolutely amazing I think of it now because uh, there are several uh, places in the story of uh, Jacob and Joseph where he goes and, J- and Jacob's sons where Ramban goes into extensive discussions of the Noahide laws and uh, behaviors that are binding on all the people including the Canaanites anyway uh, Yosef, there's a, and there's a discrepancy in the Ramban some people say the, the wording uh, in the written Torah you could say Yosef was bringing reports about the sons of the handmaids with whom he was a youth or a lad as it states I mean that would be the most direct grammatically it's the immediately preceding clause or and some commentators say no he was mainly bringing reports against critical reports against the uh, sons of Leah the, his, uh, uh, his old, older brothers Anyway, he was bringing reports. Not a good thing. They 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 all had different reasons for resenting him. There's not there's not shalom, and there's not shleim yud. It's a very bad thing. And then he have, of course has his dreams, and uh, which add uh, explicitly add the element of jealousy into the fear and the resentment. Uh, 
that that is stirred up by the fact that he clearly has been singled out, although he's not the firstborn, for firstborn kind of love and favor, and that he's also bringing reports. Uh, and so there is uh, there is the plan. We've got to this this uh, there are even there are there are other commentaries that in some ways Yosef was behaving uh, a bearer of false tales. He could cause the brothers to lose even their inheritance. The family would be fractured, and there would be another disaster. This was not supposed to happen. After we, there's been the winnowing out the separation out of Yishmael and uh, Hagar and uh, there's been the winnowing out of Esau and his Canaanite and Egyptian wives and his kind of behaviors were supposed to have uh, Yaakov arrive back in Shechem Shalem and the uh, affliction of Dina which was uh, both a rape and also unnatural abuse um, you can tell by the verbs you could get that in the commentary too that was avenged and, uh, and the covenant was reiterated uh, and the vow was repeated in a way such that your, your descendants will never be cut off so how can this family be broken apart very, very difficult situation that uh, you can trace back to Lavan and to, to, to Yaakov's own uh, he knows that there's a special grace in Yosef uh, and cannot there, there's just no way to perfectly deal with the situation that grows up from the fact that Yosef is the 11th son and not the first son he's the 11th and Yehuda uh, who, uh, whose name was given him by Leah uh, now I shall acknowledge God is going to have to, is going to have to show his freedom going to have to show what he's made of what he has inside him through a long difficult process uh, of years and uh, 17 years I think it is or 13 years I think it is um, and both to atone for what for his role in putting Yosef in the uh, the pit the boor and uh and for suggesting that he be uh, sold and also then uh, 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 deceiving Yaakov about what's happening to him or setting establish, setting up a situation in which they, the brothers, allow Yaakov to deceive himself a situation which really has enormous cruelty in it and uh, cruelty which will have to be paid for as the brothers themselves are uh, among the first to recognize not very long afterwards in a uh, subsequent Parsha subsequent Torah portion anyway uh, there is uh, there, let me focus on one pair of words you see them there right under the, the main principles for this lesson number 8 Tarof Taraf these are the exact words that Yaakov speaks when his sons show him Jacob's uh, special robe, his many-colored coat, uh, smeared with animal blood, and Yaakov says, surely he's been 
a predator, an evil beast, has torn him. A predator has torn him apart. Taraf, Taraf, Taraf. We talked last week. I talked with you about the, how how brilliant the uh, holy tongue is. How this root of Tet Resh Fe or Pe is uh, in this case it's a Fe uh, means both uh, it is the source of words predator or tearing to pieces, and it's also the root of being crazed or being driven mad uh, or uh, things being mixed together even the way an egg beater which is a matref uh, in Hebrew something that's mixed together or someone that does not keep, keep kashrut is also a matref someone who mixes things together and in that sense makes the world crazy the opposite of shalem the opposite uh, a world in which there is no uh, shlamim and no true shalom, at least in the, and certainly not in the life of a person who mixes all things together the way Esau in many ways does, and the way Lavan in other ways also does. Um, so uh, surely he's been torn apart by an evil beast, and Jacob would not let himself be comforted. He was in such terrible grief. Uh, to try to pass on and stay with the main line of the discussion, that the, or the, some of the main principles that we've been talking about and that I have listed today, the, uh, we have wholeness that has been broken again through a whole series of events, human beings responding to immediate situation, in some cases maybe just dealing with an overload of grace and prophetic ability and with the, uh, the magnitude of the gifts and the role they've been given. Uh, Joseph Yosef has his two dreams, dreams which are prophetic. Of course they'd be disturbing to the brothers. What brothers, especially since the Torah had not yet been written, uh, been written down uh, Yaakov and uh, his sons and wives had not read the Torah still several generations away they didn't know this, how the story of Yaakov and his, and his children Israel and his children was going to work out um, how else could they respond to these dreams except with resentment uh, jealousy fear and even some anger like Yaakov had what do you want you mean that your mother and father should bow down to you uh, the second dream you know that the eleven stars and the sun and the moon would bow down uh, to me uh, this is you know very difficult for any human being to deal with in a, in, without being critical uh, you know you have a child who come even an exceptional child come out with the uh, a remark of that kind not on that magnitude and this is all part of the process um, but Yaakov kept it in mind and that's why he sent Yosef later uh, not much later up to his brothers to see how they were doing although he was certainly aware of the lack of peace between them although he himself was aware that Joseph, Yosef 
was a an irritating element um, in a way. We already saw we have um, we have the interlude of Yehuda and his sons and Tamar, and how this is part of uh, Yehuda's atoning in advance his embarrassment, but his, also his his honesty, his integrity in admitting that the pledges that he left with the disguised Tamar were indeed his and she is more righteous than me you know I'm at, I'm at, at fault in this matter I should not be accusing her taking that responsibility on himself this is uh, certainly the first step in his earning in demonstrating that he was capable of fulfilling the life that was within the blessing of Malchut of kingship that he would later receive from from Yaakov uh, and this is only one of several things uh, it's because it's really it's like a steadily ascending series of challenges uh, of situations where the difficult situations where there's really no good there's no really good choice to be made and there's a you need a, a mixture of discernment and courage and self-sacrifice and just plain faith, hope, and trust that you can somehow get through the tight spot, the uh, Mitzar, and uh, get, get out of Mitzrayim and do a redemption. There's a whole ascending series of things by which Yehuda chooses and acts including chooses his words very very carefully to show and for the purpose for which he chooses them that he in fact that he merits the blessing that he eventually receives it was not the whole story in those these parshas of Vayeshev Miketz and, Vay, and uh, Vayigash uh, following chapters 44 through 46 roughly of Genesis show how Yuda, Yehuda grows into the role of Malchut that was maybe contained like as a kernel as a possibility within his name but that he had to uh, he had to prove himself able to uh, to uh, carry through so uh, there's his, his, his tikkun his atonement begins with the episode of uh, Tamar, the deaths of his own two children. This will come in later uh, in uh, Parsha Miketz. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, a Parsha that's so important for our times. The, these very dark times, not only this time of the year, when these Parshas are always read, the darkest time of the year physically, but also the darkest time of history the darkness before the dawn the afternoon of the sixth millennium of the, the afternoon of the sixth day of the sixth millennium so to speak the Erev Shabbos of history when we are all at Miketz I should say we are all uh, Miketz and we have to try to go somehow from darkness into light from the darkness of Asaph, in which everything is mixed together 
and in which the the passions rule and uh, there's really never any complete peace no matter how much supplication and um, so how much supplication and appeasement there is eventually there uh, there has to be a decisive uh, battle so that there can be uh, true peace as the as the Haftorah for Vaishlach, which was last week, uh, Navi Ovadia tells us in his own extremely succinct way, one chapter. So uh, we have uh, we have the, the, the apparent apparent shattering, or not apparent, but the actual the breaking up of the unity of the family that is going to carry God's. Um, that is going to be the uh, the kingdom of priests, hopefully uh, and needfully at some point. And Yosef gets sold by a, ser- a whole series of fascinating sales and resales by the Midianites in the area where Amalek lived, and the Ishmaelites get sold to Potiphar, the Egyptian, and not just any Egyptian, which the 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 text uh, the the uh, Chumash reminds us over and over and over again Potiphar had he's an Egyptian and not just an Egyptian he's the Chamberlain of the Butchers um, I'll restrain myself from from making any geopolitical uh, references to that but you can keep them in the back of your minds so the, the Potiphar the cha- Pharaoh's Chamberlain of the Butchers very wealthy man. Immediately, he demonstrates his his grace in all its forms. But this brings with it yet again. It brings with us being that we're in the world in a human world, uh, a world that's still then at that point a long way from being rectified. It brings uh, brings forth the lust of Potiphar's wife, who. Uh, eventually gets her revenge on Yosef because he would not uh, betray his master and he was certainly following the Noahide laws which uh, gives some you know implicit is an implicit uh, confirmation and emphasis of how different the family of Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov was from the Canaanites among whom they dwelt in which not, not only was adultery commonplace, but murdering a man to steal his wife so you could have her way with her, and having all different kinds of sex, like uh, Shechem uh, had with Dina, as is pretty clear when the text is studied just a little bit, the three verbs of, of how he took her down and afflicted her, um, this is uh, this is what you're going to find. So she she tries to seduce Joseph. She comes after Joseph uh, in many ways, including physically, and then she slanders him and uh, frames him with the uh, kind of uh, something that's become paradigmatic in the uh, cultural and legal uh, texture of modern American life in the last 25 or 30 years. One of those um, 
one of those bad laws, bad ideas, bad ideology that affects ten, many tens of millions of people. There it is. There's a preview of it in uh, the book of Genesis. And Yosef is taken and thrown into a pit again. Again into the darkness. And the sages say, uh, yes, as it says in the, in the plain text, the pit was empty, there was no water in it. He said, well, why do I have to say it twice? You know, if it's empty, it's empty. Uh, empty, period. He says, well, well, there was you know, scorpions and snakes in it. It's just, you know, what it, what it didn't have any of was water. Now, on the second pit, I like to say there was also a scorpion and a serpent, namely the chamberlain of the bakers and Pharaoh's uh, chamberlain of cups. And uh, now we come to their dreams in this last segment of the course. It's very important because it's taught in Kabbalah that the month of Kislev, the ninth month, is not only is the month of birth, it's also the month of dreams and the clarification of dreams. And uh, there's a close connection in Hebrew the, the language out of which the universe is constructed the DNA of the universe when the children of Israel stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and it reads explicitly and they saw the sound they saw the structure of everything that is they saw the patterns and infinite combinations of Hebrew letters that every single rock, pebble, tree seashore, wave and cloud and person consists of what an overwhelming educational experience uh, that must have been but anyway there is uh, a in the holy tongue there is a clearly important and very close connection between uh, chalam. In fact, it's the same. It's an identical verb root, chet lamed mem, to dream, to envision, and to be dreamy. Even have fantasies in some more modern uh, 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 connotations of Hebrew, and to be sick, like we say in the the, the bikur cholim, uh, to to visit the the sick. And Barofe uh, Cholim, Hashem heals the sick, and we pray to be healed. So exile, we know, for example, in Tehillim 126, and and Yosef is going into an exile. He's going into what, in some ways, some ways, is the darkest of all exiles and the formative one. That really is the pattern for all of Israel's exiles. The deep darkness. Of, of Egypt very closely linked culturally and historically too not only by Chazal not only by Midrashim but culturally and historically the deep darkness of Mitzrayim is, is linked to Greece and Egypt was very thickly settled by Greece so there's no time to even give an overview of that now but a, a terrible deep darkness uh, this is after all this is the deep darkness and great dread that seized Abraham when uh, he fell asleep at the covenant of the parts and Hashem the eternal one revealed to him 
uh, in his dream the the covenant of the land um, and that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky uh, uh, and that it was a covenant that was reiterated to Yaakov in case you were wondering several times twice in uh, chapter 28 in Parsha Toldot on, uh, and then again in uh, Parsha Vaishwach chapter 35 is to show as Ramban and many other uh, of the greatest sages say to show that it has the power of a divine vow that it's t- as part of the structure of, structure of existence um, it, it's not only binding on Hashem but it's like the creation itself it's established but in Tehillim 26 it says we will be like dreamers when we return when Hashem returns our captives to Zion they were speaking then historically of the exile in Bavel but also the overtones of the holy tongue go back to the deep darkness and great dread uh, not only of the first exile of the old people in Egypt but the exiles of Yavan whose darkness is dispelled by the oil the Shemen Zaid Zan of Chanukah both historically and uh, conceptually spiritually and the, the, the greatest in terms of history and uh, geopolitics uh, darkness of exile of all the exile of Edom of Esau, who Edom, the exile that we watch every day. So Yosef is put into into a pit. He's put into darkness by his dreams. The, this amazing interplay of grace and then challenge, being alone and abandoned. The two Egyptians have versions of the same dream. They come to him to the Hebrew who's. He, he goes to Egypt he gets him put in charge of Potiphar's household he gets thrown into jail after being slandered he gets put in charge of the prison uh, Potiphar's prison it, it's the ward of the chamberlain of the butchers who's Potiphar uh, they have dreams or nightmares and they go to Yosef just the way Paro will go to Yosef in our next Parsha Miketz um, and he tells them their dreams and uh, hopefully the Chamberlain of Bakers uh, today will wind up just like the Chamberlain of Bakers uh, did back then but uh, the last part of this Parsha this Parsha ends with uh, Yosef uh, having asked the, the Chamberlain of Cups Charles Cupbearer please since you're going to be restored to favor and you'll be kneeling by Pharaoh and putting the cup into the goblet into his hand every day speak a good word for me you know a little networking please you'll be in a position to really get me out of here I've done nothing wrong I was etc but the Chamberlain of Cups forgot about Yosef despite what Yosef had done for him this is the grief that Yosef had all his life that, Yo- that, that people don't recognize what Yosef has done for them and that uh, 
uh, then, and he has to overcome the challenge of enormous amounts of grief and of living in Mitzrayim a lot of his uh, life. A great rabbi of our generation uh, used to, uh, used to uh, discuss on the, on the verse, uh, Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers did not recognize him, uh, which so much uh, explains, can be used to explain the embattled status of Israel in the world in our entire lives, in our days, really that the entire last 85 years, at least, and certainly more recently, um, as well as the lives of the truest and most faithful of the Jews in the land of Israel in relation to their own Azov supported uh, and ruled uh, government, the government of uh, Romulus so to speak. But the sages teach regarding, and here's an example of the standards to which, you know, people who are, have greatness in them are held to higher standards, just like the Jewish people are held to a higher standard by Hashem, because they have their roles to be Amam Lechet Kohanim and to be a light to the nations, not to be counted among the nations, not to sit there united in the so-called world community and plead for recognition and justice from a gang of cutthroats and thieves, drug dealers and, and, and murderers, snakes and scorpions. Not to be out of there, because uh, Israel will dwell alone, solitary in the likeness of Yaakov, and will not be counted among the nations. Uh, and when the nations have the kind of dog faces that they have today, you, know, you don't want to be counted among them. If you're going to be a mamlechet kohanim, you certainly can't be. But anyway, the extra, the extra standard that you are held to, requiring teshuva and tikkun in even greater measure, like Yehuda and Yosef and all their brothers, are going to have to demonstrate because they're all responsible for each other. This goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning of class today. We really are, we're all affected by each other, the bad and the good, and we need to be responsible for each other. We need to do everything we can to empower the good and protect the innocent and to disable the wicked rather than to enable or empower them and to have the discernment to do that. Anyway, the sages say that because Yosef slandered ten of his brothers, when they say, you know, how can this be, you know, that Yosef was, was forgotten? He spent ten years in jail for something he didn't do because he was slandered by Potiphar's wife, this Egyptian, who was, who was gr grabbing on his body, and then he's betrayed by the Chamberlain of Cups. Why should he stay in jail 12 years in Mitzrayim? It's enough already. He's, he's, he's a good man. He's a good young man. Very good. And they say, well, because he slandered 10 of his brothers. It has to be atoned. So they say, in terms of explaining his prison, his time in prison, which was illegal, really, and unjust. Absolutely. He didn't, they say, on, in the, what, they say, really, it was both the sons of the uh, handmaidens uh, and uh, also the sons of Leah 
and also two years because instead of trusting in Hashem, you know, and the Eternal One, like he told to Potiphar, look, first he told her, when he rejected her, he told her in words that she could understand. Look, I'm your master's servant and he trusts me. You know, my master is also your master. That's reason number one. And besides, Hashem, my, you know, my God, would not stand for this. But when he was down there in the pit already ten years, he just, instead of looking to, to God, he relied on this Egyptian. Uh, and that, that is their homiletic interpretation of why it was only at the end of two more years uh, when he had to learn this lesson, a lesson that would bring him closer to holiness and closer to his brothers. Everything is working together. Closer to the dreams of Pharaoh because the ecosphere, the environment of the whole planet is working itself towards the place where there is going to be uh, climactic conditions and meteorological conditions that there will be drought. And the only place that can produce abundant crops is one that's totally irrigated, like Mitzrayim. It's all coming together. And with it, the reunification, the shlemut of the brothers. If they will act in certain ways and the behavior of the brothers that demonstrate the midos, the personal qualities of the brothers, are really a large part of the content of the next couple of Torah portions that we'll be talking about uh, next week because they they are having split each other's apart and brought uh, split each other apart and brought split their family apart which must never be done and brought enormous grief to their father to their noble heroic and long suffering father the holder of the covenant which they whose, whose importance they certainly are aware of it's going to be left to them through dealing, not, ju- not just with someone who loves them already, but through dealings with Pharaoh and the Egyptians and with a brother whom they don't even recognize, whom they think is just a grand, uh, you know, a, a, the region of Egypt, that they're going to have to demonstrate the qualities that will bring uh, the family to a level of unity that it never had genetically, we would say that it did not automatically had, that they had to create when confronted with the difficulties and conflicts growing out of their own humanity and of the inhumanity of the people that surround them so that they can bring, by their tikkunim, uh, bring wholeness and light uh, back into Back to the back to themselves, to Israel, eventually, and from Israel to all mankind. Uh, that's a large part of the message of the Hanukkah lights, the lights of dedication and rededication, uh, like it says in Tehillim 30, a psalm for the dedication of the temple. And hopefully, some of this message will be uh, in your hearts later this week when Hanukkah starts and grows. Uh, in strength every night and hopefully we'll get to see light uh, in all of the different kinds of darkness we confront more and more uh, in the very same way. So uh, 
thank you, Toda. You're welcome, Toda. Uh, and uh, have good days and a good week. And Hanukkah Sameach.